I've uh, been coming out of this last year with all of you, uh, kind of looking for the highlights. There's many. Can everybody agree? Even through a pandemic, God blessed and moved and works in our lives. He's continuing to do so. Uh, continue to pray with me that it goes away altogether. Amen. Uh, but in, in the year that we've kind of spent in, in kind of the weirdness of the pandemic, some great things happened in sports in our region. In 2020, every professional team that I know of made it to a championship game. Three of them, the Bucks, the Lightning, and the Rowdies. Uh, did you know there's a team called the Rowdies? Uh, uh, they all won their, their and, and the Rays made it to the World Series. And, and, and they're still in first place right now, one game ahead of the other team that I love. Anyway, uh, but the Bucks are getting ready to, you know, to, to, to bring the band back out and, and do it all again. The Lightning are in the playoffs right now. Anybody watch the Lightning game last night? I know I did. <laughs> it reminds me of, of, the, uh, of the growing up years in my life. I, uh, how many people knew that I was part Canadian? Does anybody know that about me? I lived in Canada for like seven years. And uh, I learned, the, the first sport I ever learned to play was hockey. Uh, I, uh, I'll confess this. I'm not a strong skater. Uh, never really learned how to do life on knives. Never figured that out. But uh, fortunately for us, uh, there is this thing in, uh, in hockey called street hockey. Has anybody ever played street hockey? All you need is like a, a, a ball, uh, some hockey sticks, some friends. If, if, if you're growing up in my uh, day, uh, every neighborhood had the group of kids that played street hockey. And they played it almost all the time. Like kids in America would play football and baseball. Uh, we'd play street hockey all year long. Uh, normally you'd haul these huge nets out and, and, you know, when a car would come, everybody would say, car. And, you know, like in Wayne's world, you'd have to move the net and, and then the car would go by and you'd start the game again. Uh, but there would be sometimes, you know, the goalie who had all the pads in the net, he'd be off visiting his grandmother or, you know, other kids might be absent from the game that day. And so if you only had two or three guys on a team, you would play street hockey, no nets. And what you would do is you would go steal your parents' garbage can without them knowing because they'd get really mad if you did. And, uh, and, and then you just start playing hockey uh, with each other, just trying to get to the point where you could put the... I did it. I was so nervous about that. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> put the ball in the can. Put a pin in that. I was driving my wife, uh, Eleanor, to the airport on Thursday. She's up in Minneapolis right now visiting uh, with most of her father's side of the family. Her uncle, Jim, is turning 90 uh, this weekend. Yeah. And uh, so they all uh, came out for the, uh, for the big shindig and, and it was a surprise party. Who loves us? You love a surprise. They're so great. So, so like everybody from across the country came and visited Uncle Jim. I was driving her to the airport though on Thursday and uh, um, does anybody else get distracted by things while you're driving? I do. And, and one of the, the major distractions as you near the airport in our region is that planes land. They look like they're going to land on you. Has anybody been like driving off of 275 and heading on to whatever that road is that takes you to the airport? And there's like a plane screaming, you know, what seems like 100 feet above your head. And you're just like, no, please, not here, okay? And, 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 and that happened just as I was dropping Eleanor off. Who, who's grateful that the aviation, uh, you know, people have, have figured out, you know, the best place for a plane to land is at the airport. Let's build some runways, put some lights up and down them, right? And, and let's train all of our pilots not to land on the other strips that are surrounding the airport. Those are our highways. They're populated by cars and people. Let's go ahead and make sure we put the planes 
where the runways have been built. Who's in favor of this still going forward? Yes, okay, some of you are like, all right, Mark, lightning, hockey, airplanes, point. Here's my point. I get up here every week and I talk to you about uh, what we have in our scriptures that outlines for us the kingdom of God. In fact, uh, later on in the fall, we're gonna do a whole series dedicated to the kingdom of God, what it is, what it's about, uh, how you can get in, uh, and, and then what matters once you're in. Uh, but today I'm going to teach you some kingdom lessons, just brief ones. As Jesus uh, b- briefly and, and, and specifically explains the kingdom, but then around it kind of shows some things that matter and things that don't matter when it comes to the kingdom. Here's my job as your pastor. My job is to point you to the things that matter and to steer you away from the things that don't in the Christ life. Jesus, as you consider his uh, time here on earth, he spent three and a half years. Anybody ever wondered about that? Like he could have just come, been born, grown up, and then without any real, you know, buildup, just gone to the cross and died for our sins. I mean, that is, you know, probably the, the, the centerpiece, the, the main reason that he came here to earth was to die and raise again, provide for us this opportunity to have life through him. But he doesn't do it right away. Three and a half years, he walks around. He, he calls a bunch of disciples to follow him. He, he, he in, in the pages of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, teaches again and again, here's what matters. Stick with these things. These are the garbage can goals of your life. <laughs> Shoot your puck in those. These are the runways that your life are meant to land on. Keep your plane on those. He gets to the end of a teaching in a particular portion of scripture in Matthew chapter seven, and he says, everybody who listens to the things that I say and does them is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And when life unfurls and goes nutty around us, who's had that? Anybody had some nutty, some craziness? Yeah. Those who have understood what the goal is, where the path, the runway is, and who have sought to stick the landing and and stay within the parameters of what I've taught. Those are the ones whose lives will stand firm. But if you, like so many in the world, choose a different goal, land your life and run your life down a different runway, then you're like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand and when the stuff of life hits your screen, everything in life falls flat. I want to just take you to Luke chapter 13 for some kingdom lessons. Jesus is going to, in these couple days that we get to see his life uh, unfold, he's going to teach us four things. Everybody ready? You can do these motions in your chair. You don't have to get up. Here we go. Ready? The first one's this. He's going to teach us to beware. Everybody go. Are you doing it? I can't see you. Hands out to the side, try it with me, and then just kind of look scared. Everybody, beware. Everybody say, be wary. Be wary. All right. Everybody today, as we go forward, we're going to be encouraged. So we're going to go from being wary to being encouraged. Say it with me. Be wary. Be encouraged. Third thing is this. We need to be focused. Be focused. Say it with me. Be focused. What's the first one? Be wary. Be encouraged. Be focused. And the last one's this. Be amazed. Wave your hands in the air like you just don't care. There you go. 
Ah, uh, first one's what? Oh, I forgot. <laughs> the first one, first one is what? Beware. The second one is what? The third one is what? That's right. And the last one is be amazed. Let's walk through these things together. It says in verse 10, now he, he being Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Common practice for the Jewish uh, experience. If you're a, a man in the Jewish faith, uh, there, there would be, you know, leaders in the synagogue, but it kind of be like life groups around here. Different guys would get up in the synagogue on a Sabbath and they would read from the scriptures and share the things that they saw there and the teaching would kind of ping pong back and forth. So Jesus was doing some of his own teaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath. And behold, it says there was a woman uh, who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. Uh, apparently, uh, a woman who was an ardent follower of the Jewish faith, she was there uh, in the synagogue, uh, uh, apparently hanging out with the, with the guys, which was not common practice. Uh, the men and the women uh, often worshiped separately. Um, she was there apparently because she was still hoping for a miracle in her life for 18 years. We don't know how old she is. Maybe she's 18 and this was what she was born with. Or maybe she is older than 18 and this came about as something happening in her life. But she has been inflicted with a disease, a bone disease. It's uh, bent her over, uh, crippled her, it says. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. So... Uh, Whatever the disease is, I read lots of books. There's all kinds of different ideas of what it could be. I'm not a doctor. I just know she's not well. And it says that she has been uh, crippled by a disabling spirit. We're going to get in a few verses to a, a comment that Jesus makes about how a, a daughter of Abraham who has been, you know, uh, you know, uh, afflicted by Satan himself. Let me just do something real quick on that. Not every disease is the result of Satan's you know, uh, coming at your life. But who's read the story of, of Job? Anybody read that? Sometimes God removes his protection in certain situations and allows Satan, who wants to destroy everything that God has made for good. Everybody gets that, right? He, he'd love for all of us to be debilitated today. He'd love for all of us to be dead. He'd start with that. But if he couldn't get that, he'd, he'd go to debilitated if he couldn't get that. And, and we should all, you know, when you're kind of um, discouraged or or confused about how God could allow these things, just remember that God protects all of us from our adversary all the time. Things should be way worse and could be way worse apart from the grace and protection of our God. Is everybody with me? So this woman is bent over, unable to straighten herself, crooked, as it were. Lots of parallels here with the... Uh, uh, the sin situation in our lives morally. We're all, the Bible tells us in Romans, uh, guilty of sin. There's none righteous, no, not one. Every one of us debilitated by the effects of sin. And Jesus, as an example of what he wants to do for us spiritually, uh, often heals in his story. And so he sees this woman, apparently stops what he's teaching. And he calls her over and he says to her in verse 12, woman, you are freed from your disability. I love that he said freed. Could have said healed. Could have said, you know, made whole. But he said freed. He brought into this, this situation the picture of imprisonment. And he makes clear, hey, I'm the one who sets people free. 
If you go back a few chapters in this book, he gets up in his own hometown synagogue. He reads from the scrolls of Isaiah and he says, um, there, there is one who is coming to set captives free. And then he says, it's me. I got a little fussed out at him, but that's another story. So he goes around and he's not just healing people, he's freeing them and says, that he laid his hands on her. He's probably doing both at the same time, saying, woman, you are freed from your disability as he lays his hands on her. And immediately, this is one of Luke's favorite words. He says it all the time. So that his friend Theophilus, who is receiving this letter, this gospel called Luke, can know that there wasn't like a, a lapse. There wasn't like a, a buildup. There wasn't like bars at the bottom of the screen that had to you know, you know, fill up so that the page could load. That's a computer reference. Okay. No, it's immediate. Jesus says it. And this woman who's, I don't know, maybe been bent over at the waist and dragging her leg is all of a sudden, pa-ping, and she's well. That was you. What are you doing? I'm trying out my new spine. I'm doing some pogos around that synagogue. Uh, the way Luke describes it is she was made straight and she glorified God, uh, which is the right thing. Can we all agree that when God does a miracle, when God provides in our lives, the right thing to do is say thank you and make a big fuss about him? Yeah, uh, how dumb would it have been for the 13,000 plus who you know, were allowed to go into the, uh, the hockey rink yesterday to just kind of sit there and every time the lightning did something good to just be like, no. Especially after being trapped inside for 18 months, uh, my sense was that everybody was, you know, there to yell a little bit. And, and any time the lightning did something good to lose their ever-loving minds. Oh, that we, we, we would bring the same passion that we have for our sports to our Savior. That we'd be excited or as excited or even more excited about the uh, incredible scoring plays that he does in our lives. Uh, that's how it should be. The woman's doing well here. But there's always someone messing this up. It says here in verse 14 that the ruler of the synagogue, the, the guy in charge, he'd been elected by the people in a close vote. Uh, I don't know that. That's not in there at all. Uh, but he stands up. And as a good Jewish man who has been taught to observe the Sabbath laws, he says this about what he sees. Yeah, he was indignant, it says, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And so he said to his people, hey, let's not forget. I mean, great, you know, Judy's walking around. Great, awesome. But let's not forget, there are six days in which work ought to be done. That's Exodus 20, everybody. Six days. Come on those days. This is so great. You guys got six days in the week where you can get healed. Come on those days if you need a healing. Apparently the carpenter's able to do this stuff. Come on those days and be healed. Just don't be doing it on the Sabbath. Wah, 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 right? Debbie Downer, Donald Downer, sorry. Yeah, uh, he's, just, he's, he's in this room and miracle has happened before his eyes. Put yourself there. You know Judy. She's growing up in your little town in Israel. You've perhaps prayed for her, prayed over her for this healing to occur. It has happened in your presence. 
You have watched someone who has been crippled, lame for 18 years, straighten up and bounce around. And this dude's first move is rules. Don't forget the rules. Now, this is really interesting, and I don't have time to preach all this. Uh, but does anybody, uh, has anybody heard that you're supposed to keep the Sabbath? Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Anybody, anybody, that's in the book, right? It's in the book. Okay. Has anybody heard that you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath? Is that in the book? No, here's what this guy was doing. He was doing what we often do, is we interpret what we read in our book and we, we, we come out at the other end with what we think it's saying. And we impose upon it our will. And so we look at work and we say, well, work means this. And in fact, if you go to the laws of the time, the Pharisees and other scribes had, had basically concocted, here's what God meant when he said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. You can't walk more than six feet. You certainly can't cook on your Sabbath. You can't. And they had, they, had, they had just put together all of these things. Now, God had said, please, make sure that you rest. Make sure that you remember who I am. Those are the, you know, the, the headlines of the Sabbath. But as men as want to do, they want to put the bar in a place where they can jump over it and see themselves as righteous, even though they're not. So they put a lot of rules that they can kind of attach to stuff to it. And, and part of that was no work, including the healing of a woman who's been Afflicted for 18 years. <laughs> Let's see what Jesus has to say about that. Anybody want to guess? Verse 15, then the Lord answered this leader of the synagogue. Jesus wasn't scared of no one. He doesn't just answer him, though. He looks at all the people who are nodding as Donald Downer was like, just come on the other six days. He looks at all of them and he said, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? Um, the answer to that question is rhetorical. The answer was, yeah. If, if my animal needs water, I'll go out on the, you know, the mornings that, uh, that the barn chores need to be done and I'll make sure that they get the water they need. He says, you guys are sitting here in this synagogue talking all high and mighty and you're breakers of your own Sabbath laws. He goes on and he says in verse 16, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, a, a, a descendant of the father of, of Israel, of our race, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, ought she not to be loosed from this bond, especially on a Sabbath day? What more could God want to have happen on his day than his work to be done in the lives of the people who need his freedom and his rest? Are you kidding me? Jesus says. As he said these things, verse 17, all of his adversaries were put to shame. No one looked him in the eye. And all the other people who were on Judy's side started to rejoice all the louder at the glorious things that had been done by him. Can you picture it? Are you there in that little carved out stone synagogue watching what goes down? Jesus is in this story and in at least seven other accounts like it where he heals or, or does you know, non-Sabbath things on the Sabbath. He's teaching a very important lesson and that's this, that we need to be wary of missing what matters. He's tried in his gospels and in the rest of his word as he revealed himself to give us the things that truly matter. 
But we have this tendency to go either one way or another with those things that matter. On the one hand, like uh, these, <coughs> these Jews, <coughs> we take the things that God gives us and where there is freedom and, and more space, uh, we take them and we make them smaller. And so if this tennis ball is my life and there's opportunities within the will of God for me to have some freedom, legalists, as we call them, this is harder than I thought, uh, want us to thread the needle. There's only a little space that we can fit into. These people are responsible for constantly dividing the church of God over stupid stuff. Because you don't do it like me and I do it right. Now on the flip side of this, are these people. Rules, they're just suggestions. They're just concepts. I can do whatever I want. This is what God says, but this is what I read. Grace, freedom. On the one side, you have legalism, people adding rules to rules. On the other side, you have license. People saying the rules don't matter, it's all about grace. Both are wrong. And what Jesus is hoping to do in this story for us and for those who are present is just say, hey man, what matters is what matters. Don't miss out. Be wary of missing what matters. The prophet Micah uh, comes to the, the children of God and, and he prophesies uh, on his behalf says lots of things, but he gets to the, the tail end of what he's saying in his book in the Old Testament. And he says, you know what, let me summarize for you guys. You're getting caught off guard by, uh, by all these uh, outside, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, ideas from, from you know, countries with false idols. You're being dragged off in those directions. Some of you are, are you know, the, 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 the legalist people. You're, you're standing on this side of this divide, pointing fingers at the people who are off in the woods, and, and, and you're just as bad as them because neither of you have really looked at the things that matter most. He says this in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He says... God has told us, old man, what is good and what the Lord requires of us. It's these th three things. Do justice. When he says do justice, he's basically saying do the right things. Be just. Be, be right in your living. Be a defender of those things. Do justice. Do what God has required. He says love kindness. In other translations, the words there are love mercy. Seek to honor people. Here, here's, here's a hard thing for us sometimes. We get so wrapped up with the rules, we forget the love. And you're supposed to do both. Be just, be right, but be loving. Perhaps even in loving sometimes, you don't forget the rules, but you love even as the rules are being broken by someone that you know. You continue to love. It, 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 it goes on and it says this. It says, do justice, love kindness, and then the big thing is walk humbly with God. Walk in submission to the things that he's already revealed to us in his word. Walk in submission to his spirits moving in your life as he points you in the direction that you should go. When I was a youth pastor, we used to sing songs all the time. That's how I learned to play guitar for the most part. I'm going to teach you this verse because here's the deal. Anybody here heard verses in church or something like that before and wished you could have remembered those? 
Do you know what our brains are conditioned to remember with? Tunes. That's why you can sing, some of you from my age can sing every hit song from the 80s. Like start to finish. You just listen to it enough to the music, you got it figured out. Jesse is a friend. He's always been a good friend of mine. But lately something's changed. It isn't hard to define. Jesse's got himself a girl and I want to make her mine. There you go. The whole time I was saying that, you know what I was singing? The tune in my head. That's why we sing songs. Certainly it's in the moment to be able to praise God. But here's what I pray happens as you listen to this song and this verse. I pray that you sing this verse all week long because these are the things that matter. It works. It goes like this. He has shown me, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. You guys try, ready? He has shown me, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. Pretty good. He has shown me, do it again. Oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. All right, you ready? Here we go. But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. He's taking pictures. Ready? He has shown me. Is everybody getting this? Oh, man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee? He has shown me, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Everybody who's not been singing yet and just staring at me, everybody who's just been looking at me like, seriously, is he going to keep doing this? Yes, until you sing, I'm going to keep doing this. Everybody on the last verse, here we go. Everybody sing. But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. The story goes on. And Jesus continues to teach after Judy gets healed. He goes on and he says this, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? He says this, I'm gonna gonna give you two metaphors. I'm gonna start with plants and I'm gonna end up with bread. He says, let me compare it to the grain of a mustard seed. The kingdom is like a grain of the mustard seed uh, that a man took and sowed in his garden. Who's ever read the Bible before? Who's ever heard the mustard seed? When you hear mustard seed, what do you think of? If we have faith, just the size of a mustard seed, what were we able to do? We could take mountains and and cast them into the sea, it tells us in one of Jesus' other teachings. He, He was always great at just using the stuff that people knew. This was an agrarian culture. Everybody understood planting their crops, planting mustard trees. He said, you guys know how tiny that mustard seed is? That's the kingdom. But it's gonna grow and it's gonna become a tree. And the birds of the air are gonna make nests in its branches. He's basically picking up a picture that's explained by the prophet Ezekiel in his prophecy. In chapter seven, he talks about the Messiah and he says the Messiah is gonna be like this tree, 
a cedar tree in that story. He's going to be like this tree that's going to grow up. And, and the nations, he's referring to the birds as the nations are going to rest in his branches. And Jesus says, yeah, that's, that's my kingdom. That's what I've come to do. I've, I've come, certainly, to start. It's going to look like a mustard seed to most of us. But it's going to ex- just grow and expand. It's going to be this, this, this oasis, this resting place for people like Judy who need to be freed. That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's like a tree. But he goes on and he says, what else? He says, uh, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Verse 20. He says, it's like the leaven that a woman takes and, and hides in three measures of flowers. Anybody, anybody got a Bible open? They can like look at your little cheat notes and see how much that actually is. What's three measures of flour? Someone think cups. That's usually what we put in our recipes, right? Maybe pounds. It's actually, three measures is actually uh, a, a, a Greek word that, that means like 15 pounds. So it's like 45 to 50 pounds of bread, flour. And that's the, 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 the dough mix that gets this yeast, this leaven. And, it, and it, does anybody know how bread works? If you put yeast into a big bunch of flour and other ingredients, the yeast eats what's in those, the sugars that are in those other ingredients, and it just starts to expand. Who's ever done this? Anybody ever made bread? If you leave it for a long time, it just goes, right? And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom's like. That's what I've come to set up. I've come to set up this system, this, this truth, this, this, this gospel that will basically be small at the beginning, but grow to be the size of a tree and house the peoples of the earth. It'll be like this little dab of yeast that I throw into this bread mix, but it'll just spread through the whole dough and it'll affect all of them. Uh, remember I said the first thing was to be wary, to live for what matters most. The second thing is what? Be encouraged. Be encouraged that this kingdom that Jesus came to set up is coming. Think about it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus some fishermen, some other guys, a few you know, stragglers. He dies and rises again. He goes down to like zero followers. Everybody's freaked out, right? But then he appears again in his post-resurrected life and people start kind of coming on. In Acts chapter two, these early followers spill out into the streets of Jerusalem. They start preaching the gospel that gives us the kingdom and, and 3,000 are added on that first day. And from that first 3,000, there's been thousands and thousands and millions of people added to the point where if you, you know, depending on which website you go to, we're like 2 billion strong. The family of God has spread like yeast and dough, has grown like a, a seed into a tree. It's, it's, it's becoming what it's meant to be. But can I give you this? There's going to come a time when the kingdom will cease to grow. Here's what I mean. The yeast will stop spreading. The the tree will stop growing because Jesus will return and that, my friends, is it. No more spreading. No more growing. When Jesus comes back, we're done. Everybody get that? Of course you get that. There's finishes all the time. This sermon in like three hours is going to be done. (laughs) And you'll go and do whatever's next on your Sunday, right? It's just the nature of things. There's a beginning, there's a growing, as Jesus refers to the kingdom here in these uh, parables, and then there's an ending, which he's going to get to next. And in light of that ending, arriving, I want us, even as we're encouraged that the kingdom is coming, is here, will uh, continue into eternity. There is a finality to this portion, this piece of the kingdom being built. And so you and I need to be wary Be encouraged. What's the third one? Be focused. 
You and I need to be focused in playing our part in the building of God's kingdom. We need to be focused so that God can use us in building his kingdom. He's deputized every one of us who are in Christ. Everybody gets that, right? We're all part of the process. It's not just the paid ones. It's not just the pastors. Everybody in here has been empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses. It says as much as Jesus is leaving his disciples in Acts chapter 1. He says this to them. He says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my, say it with me, witnesses. Say it like you mean it. We'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the ends of the earth. Why do we line up 50 kids on a stage on a Sunday morning? Not because we're trying to accomplish some required program with our students. It's because we as the church understand that our mission is to train our kids to know and love Jesus for themselves, but to understand that it goes beyond that. It goes to them being used by God as witnesses. And so we send them to our communities, to our uh, nation, across the seas to be witnesses. Why do we do Kitapalooza? Because we love to tell all the other churches how big our VBS is. How dumb is that? There's actual churches who live that way. How stupid is that? May we never do anything around here for some number we can report. May we do everything that we do for the glory of God that his message might go forward in the lives of the people who are without it. And there's little kids in our community. Look at me. Look at me. There are little kids in our community who are growing up without the grace of God in their lives. They have no clue in this age that we're growing up in to their spiritual need. They don't understand that they are wrecked like Judy was with sin and that they need a savior, someone to set them free. And so we do Kidapalooza because you've got kids who can invite those kids to come and be a part of this five-night craziness where they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be changed forever and join us in the kingdom of God. Are you with me? Why do we do car shows? I like cars, not that much. But we do car shows, and Rob gets this, and Steve gets this. It's not so that we can <clears throat> just have a bunch of people on our property and boast about how many came. It's so that, by the grace of God, you and I can invite people and engage people and see people uh, you know, join us after the fact. Here, if, you're, if that's one of you, hi. We did the car show, that you, show that, so that you'd show up here. If you're hanging out with us, hi. And here's why we did that. You need a savior if you don't know that already. You need Jesus. We're his church. We're his witnesses. He sent us to tell you. I'm telling you. Why is this important? Because the clock's ticking. Does everybody get that? You wake up every morning, usually by an alarm clock. Who got up by an alarm clock today? I'm, I'm almost 52 now. I'm finding out that my body wakes up one minute before my alarm goes off every morning. Has anybody noticed this? What's, what is wrong with this, that that's happening? Most of you, though, a noise happens, and you're like, <sighs> until you can you know, turn off whatever's making the noise. But you get up every morning to a clock. Does everybody recognize that it's not just the ones on your wrists and the ones in your cars and the ones on your bed stools? Stools? Anyway. There's a clock, an eternal clock that's happening right now. It's counting down to the return of Christ. And we have that long to tell our family and our friends and the people who don't know Jesus that this is the truth and to see them respond. 
But here's historically what has happened in the church. We create all kinds of excuses as to why that's not important. One of the big ones is, you know what, let's just take care of us. Let's figure out all of the things that we believe, narrow this thing down to just us, and we'll just soak in this theological stew of our own making, and we'll forget that anybody needs Jesus. And in the culture that we come from, in a more dressed down, freer, we're like, hey man, someone else will do that. I'm just you know, busy doing my thing, my stuff, grace of God for me, me, me. Someone else will get to the whole reach the world stuff. That's why we pay you, Mark, right? Jesus never taught that. Jesus never explained his mission in such terms. He's like, no, listen, be wary. Choose what matters most. Be encouraged, the kingdom's coming. But be focused, I need you to be a part of this mission. Because there's gonna come a time when the clock ends and the doors close. Anybody ever been running to the tram at the airport? hoping to catch it so that you could get in line and make it to your, your flight, but you're, you're just that second late. The doors are closing. There's some computer that tells you that. You're like. Spiritually speaking, that's true as well. Jesus, uh, picking up in verse 22, he's going along on his way through towns and villages, and you know, this is sometime after this Sabbath experience, and he's, he's on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to uh, you know, go to the cross and, and die for our sins, be resurrected from the dead and give us victory and power to live forever. But on this journey, someone says to him, verse 23, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Happens a lot in Jesus' life. He gets lots of questions. Anybody notice that? And this one person, I'm assuming because we're in Israel, a Jewish person, asks Jesus probably, hey, can you confirm what I've heard? I know you're teaching all these crazy things, but can you at least solidify for me what I've always been taught, that the Jews are in regardless? Like I'm in because I'm a descendant of Abraham. Now I recognize that maybe it's you know, open to some others, but, but the kingdom is gonna kinda be a, a sparsely populated place because it's us and then maybe a few others, but, but could you confirm that the that the saved will be few. Now, Jesus, when he gets asked questions, he hardly ever answers them. Has anybody read the Bible? Love that about Jesus. He's like, oh, you asked a question, let me ask you a question, right? Loves to do that, loves to answer questions with questions. But even when he does answer a question, he lots of times answers a question that wasn't asked. Look what he does here. He's not gonna answer the question, hey, is it gonna be like, you know, just a few of us that make it in? He's not going to answer, answer the question, Lord, will those who are saved be few? He's going to answer this question. Will the one who is saved be you? He's going to get all personal with this questioner. And he's going to basically say, listen, don't, don't take the fact that you're a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, as being like a lock for your place in the kingdom. Look what he says. He says to them, verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. My buddy Tom, who works here, uh, years ago was visiting his family in Chicago. Uh, he and his sister decided to go see the Bears play. And this was back before you could actually get tickets on your phone and scan codes and all that stuff. So he had to buy the, the tickets online, but th then he had to print the tickets off and actually take them to the gate. And so he's standing there at the gate, and he and his sister are so excited. They're wearing their Bears gear. They can see the football team, you know, warming up. And he, the guy scans his code, and it's not a valid code. 
My buddy has spent hundreds of dollars to secure tickets that aren't real. And so he, he's not going in. Ask him about it. He'll be glad to tell you. He's, he's, he's not going in, but he can stand outside the gate and just kind of look in. I don't know if he went somewhere else to watch the game. I don't know what happened after that. I just know he didn't get in. Jesus says it's the same. It's the same thing for the kingdom. When the clock runs out, there's going to be many standing at the door who are not going to pass through. So he says, strive. Underline that if you're taking notes. Strive is this Greek word, agonizomai. It's from whence we get our English word, agonize. He's saying work hard in essence. Wear yourselves out. Agonize about entering through the narrow door. Now, that, that hits our ears as, as good Christians. We're like, wait a minute. I thought the works thing was out. We're not supposed to work to be able to enter the kingdom. It's by grace and through faith that we are saved and not by our works, right? And we need to read a little bit more of what Jesus says earlier in his time uh, in the book of John. Uh, he's talking about um, working for food that perishes. He says in verse 27 of John 6, don't work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. He has conferred his salvific work to be done by him. Then he said to them, or one of them said to him, sorry, we must do, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus just gets like Micah. Let me make it simple for you. He says this, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. We've summarized it through the fide or the sola is the, the Latin word sola uh, is, is, is a term given to five ideas. The three chief ones are sola, Christ alone, sola Christos, uh, through sola fide, faith alone, by sola gratia, by grace alone. We believe. And so when he says to work, he's saying work hard at believing this. Not work hard at being moral and righteous and earning somehow. But look what he says in verse 25. It says, when this time comes, the master of the house will rise and shut the door. And there will be those who begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. And then the master, referring to himself, will answer and say, I do not know where you come from. And then those who are outside will begin to say, but we ate and drank in your presence and you taught us in the streets. <laughs> so many people are going to stand at the gates of heaven and be like, I was close. I was in the vicinity. I orbited the story. I hung out in your room. Some of you might be sitting here right now and you haven't been to church for a while or ever. And you're thinking, well, I went to church. So I must get to go to heaven now. Not how it works. Salvation is not a proximity issue. Salvation is by faith in Christ alone. These people come and they'll say, we hung out. You taught us. But Jesus says, yeah, but that, that doesn't count. I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And people read this stuff in the Bible and are like, oh, I am not a worker of evil. Lean in. Every one of us is a worker of evil. You may still not like that, but it's true. The Bible tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. That apart from the grace of God, sin is what God sees in us, not the perfection of his son. If we have chosen not to receive him. And so every one of us needs saving. 
needs rescue from this evil that plagues us. He goes on in verse 28, he says, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. Apparently, we're gonna be able to look through the gates and there will be people who thought, I, I went to church, I knew some Christians. I grew up in a Christian country. I grew up in a Christian home. I, I, I had these things, these, these elements of my life, but I lacked faith, and now I'm standing outside the kingdom of God, and I'm able to see inside to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to the others who have by faith pleased God and honored him, but I myself am left out. That's why it's important that you and I play our part in building the kingdom of God. Does everybody get it? Because your family and my family, those who don't know Jesus, they are facing an eternity without God in a place that exists. It's called hell. It's real. There's no like, well, at the end, God will sort it all out. Everybody gets in. No, he's made it very clear in the scripture that there are those who will be received into the kingdom and those who won't. And the difference makers are us, by God's grace, explaining to those who don't know what they need to know so they can choose. One of the three, be wary to do what matters most. Be encouraged, right? The kingdom's coming. Be to play your part in building the kingdom of God. And can I leave you with this encouragement? We'll go home. Be amazed. Be amazed that the narrow door is wide open to every one of us. Remember how Judy jumped around when she received the grace of God when she got healed? That kind of preaching should well up inside of all of us who know Jesus Christ, that incredible elation and awe and amazement that God would choose to save a wretch like me. Look what he says. He says in Luke 13, 29, and people will come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and all will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. Who's heard that before? In this context, he's speaking specifically uh, to this Jewish questioner saying, hey, listen, just so you know, the Jews, not automatically in. In fact, the Gentiles who you think are out those last ones, if they have faith in, in me, they'll be the first ones. And you who think you are first and only in receiving the kingdom of heaven will be the last ones. You'll be the ones that are left out. But don't miss the awe-inspiring piece of that. Do you see what he said? People from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, we're all coming together. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and he desires that none should perish, but all should have life in him. Look at me, finish with this. I don't know where you're at, but if you are a child of the king by faith in Jesus Christ, be amazed that he chose you and walk in awe of the grace of your father. But if you are someone who does not know him yet, look at me, you might be listening to me and thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm, too, I'm too far gone. I've sinned too much. There's no way that I could ever be uh, fit for the kingdom. You're perfect in your imperfection 
Because it's never been about you and what you've done or what you could do. It's always been about Jesus and what he's done and what he can do for you if you only by faith would receive him. So set aside that shame because Jesus came for all people, those in the east and the west and the north and the south, those who are messed up, worse than messed up. He came to set us straight, just like Judy, to free us up, just like Judy, and to give us life. Say them with me. Be wary. Be encouraged. Be focused. And be amazed. Will you stand with me as we close? Lord, we come to you this morning grateful for your word and the things that it can teach us and in the way that you've uh, spelled out uh, um, so clearly for us how we might gain access to you and to your kingdom. I want to pray for everybody in here this morning who has yet to receive by faith what you have given us freely through Christ. Would you grant us eyes to see? Would you soften our hearts and, and cause us uh, today, now, to understand and choose what you freely give in Jesus? Um, uh, help us to uh, identify ourselves as the sinners that we are. To, to understand that that sin is weighing us down apart from the grace that we can have in Christ. Uh, help us to repent of those sins and to seek what Jesus provides, salvation, freedom, restoration, and reconciliation. God, grant us, if we are without you, a life with you through faith. For those of us who stand here now, who understand who you are, help us to walk in life uh, uh, encouraged, amazed, um, wary of, of stepping outside the goal and, and, and sliding off of the, of the path that you have for us. But most of all, God, help us to focus on the mission you've given us. Every one of us is going home or, or, or to work tomorrow or in life we're going to run into someone who doesn't know you. And if we've gotten soft to that or, or um, you know, hardened to that, and we've just forgotten or, or refused to pray or, or to invest in that relationship so that that person might see you through us. God, give us a heart for those that you love. Use us as your witnesses, I pray. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who rose and conquered the grave so that we might have victory in him. The one who by his spirit leads us even now and guides us in this life. This, the one who has uh, become for us our aim, our template. May we become like your son Jesus. It's in his name that I pray these things. And the church said, amen and amen.